Michael Figured, Conversations. Hello, Martin. Welcome to uh, the Michael Figured Conversation podcast. Not sure if that's going to be the name that we're going to be using in the future. Uh, how are you? I'm very good. Hello, Michael. Nice to be here. Yeah, good to be here. Uh, thank, thank you for joining. So I'm actually trying to reboot the whole podcast thing. And you seem to be the perfect guest to get it started. Uh, also because you already have some experience with podcasting. Um, okay. Yeah, so I, I've seen a few of your podcasts already. And I'm just curious as to... Actually, maybe we should first like introduce yourself because most of the... Or a lot of viewers won't really know who you are, maybe. So uh, you're, I'll yeah. give you the honors. So I'm. Uh, my name is Martin, uh, for sure. In short, um, I'm. A, how would I describe myself? I'm a 30-year-old, uh, 38-year-old, um, very handsome man. For the people who are listening, <laughs> um, I have three children, and my main profession is uh, being an entrepreneur. So uh, I started a company and then sold it last year and I'm starting a new one again. So having a lot of fun, having a lot of experience in retail, working with brands, uh, working with data and AI. So uh, I have a fun life. So <laughs> Interesting. And me. actually, so um, I know you because you were my, well, yeah, my first boss actually. Uh, at a company named Clever. Can you tell us a little bit about what you did at Clever or how it came into existence? Yes, so, um, well, there are two stories, I guess. Yeah. I will tell, the official story is that we, so we were first a data consultancy company uh, working in market research. And we noticed when customers asked us like, what keeps my customers awake at night? When we looked at the data, uh, the things that really bug customers are very easy, simple things like, you know, uh, do you have something in stock? When can I expect, expect my delivery? Uh, what's your address? So people were calling companies to ask those questions um, and they were having a pain. And then on the company side, you know, you have those massive customer service departments that were all day long answering these simple, simple questions. So to me, it felt like a great inefficiency something that could be automated. Of course, you know, these frequently asked questions, why would a human have to deal with that? Um, so I started looking into the existing technology and I found out that, you know, chatbots could be a solution. So even though we were a, a data agency, we, um, we actually built a chatbot um, for Zep, the clothing store. And luckily I had an intern who, ha who was sitting around, had nothing to do. So uh, it was a very small project. Um, but I did fell in love with the, the concept and the technology. So, you know, after a while, uh, we made the bold decision to cut down our uh, market research analytics tasks and focus on um, building a chatbot technology because there was a big frustration I had because the chatbot technology that was out there, I felt was um, not good enough. You know, the conversations were crappy. Uh, the chatbots were not good enough to, to really work in, in, in practice. So we built our own technology. So Clever started out as a data consultancy agency and then yeah, evolved towards a technology company that had uh, its very own chatbot conversational design logic and everything. 
and so on. So you kind of discovered the, the chatbot solution because of the primary goal of uh, Clever in the first place, or the, yeah, so that's, that was already playing in your mind? So that's the official story. Uh, I guess the, the true story is that I'm a, a big nerd. Um, I'm always reading books, listening to speakers, and uh, finding out what's new in technology. And one day I saw a guy presenting a chatbot for like a, an ad, uh, an advertising function. And a light bulb shot in my head and I was like, wow, you know, this technology has so much more potential than just for, to be used for ads. So I desperately wanted to have a case and I found a, you know, a customer that wanted to try it and that's why we built it. So uh, that's the unofficial story. What well, was it? Was it hard for you to find companies that were also kind of as innovative as you were at the time or how, how did it go? Uh, for the first project, you mean? Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's super difficult yeah, when you have new technology. By definition, uh, nobody's out there looking to buy it. So nobody wakes up in the morning, at least not in 2000 and what was it, uh, 16. Nobody wakes up saying, oh no, we still don't have a chatbot. We need a chatbot today because otherwise our company can't function, right? Uh, so no, nobody has that. So there is no real need for the, for the technology we were building. So you have to depend to get started on companies, on people rather, right? The people in the companies who are open-minded, they hear your idea and they're like, huh, you know, we should try this. Probably there's some, some truth to that double frustration. And if we succeed, we could be the first to implement it. Um, and it's very hard to find those people. Um, so at first, so we, we did have a, you know, our consultancy company. So I talked to existing customers like, hey, I have a great idea. You know, you can use chatbots to automate your customer service. And they were like, wow, this is interesting, but it's not in our budget. It's not on our to-do list. So we're not interested. Um, you know, call us back when you have somebody else who has done a successful implementation. Mm -hmm. So just calling around to people, trying to sell a new technology is pretty much impossible. So what we did, um, I started publishing articles, you know, I, yep. I did press releases about the potential of the technology. Mm -hmm. uh, we were actually, we, we want to try out. So uh, we got an article published about, you know, a great chatbot solution we were offering even before we started building the solution. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, I mean, it was an interesting article but it was because it described the potential advantages. And following from that article uh, that released, that was released in the press, you know, uh, on Blovi, specialized in a, everything that did digital marketing and new technology. Um, actually, two companies came to us asking like, hey, so if you're if you guys doing this, we would be interested in doing a, a pilot. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, the way to get mm -hmm. yeah. these case studies is to put all your ideas out there um, and then hopefully somebody picks them up. Mm -hmm. Would you say that Clever or, yeah, Clever Bots then was probably the second, but would you say that Clever was your first company that you built yourself from the ground up? Or did you do some stuff before that? Like, or was there some kind of turning point in your life where, where you thought like, oh, I want to have my own company and I'm going to do something like this or like that? Did you have ideas before? Or yes, so when I was in, uh, I guess, when I was 16 years old, um, or maybe when I was 20 years old, uh, when people asked me like, what are you going to do with your life? Uh, 
I had two things I always said. One was, I'm going to go abroad and work as a marketeer for the biggest brands in the world. And the other thing I said was, but I'm also going to build my, my own company one day. And, you know, we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. um, that were just two abstract concepts in my head. You know, I want to dis discover, conquer the world, one thing, and then also start my own business because uh, that seems like fun. But it took me a while before I actually got started. So um, I was lucky enough to get uh, into an internship abroad and then do my international uh, career uh, at the beginning of my career. And that was true, you know, the normal system where you go to school, you study hard, you do internships, you study something else to specialize in. And then, you know, from, from the one, if you do everything right, you know, your path will make you grow into something that you can do if you're ambitious enough. Mm -hmm. Starting a business was something different. It was like, okay. Um, so my wife and I, we, we spent seven years abroad and then we had a, our, uh, our baby girl in the US. Yep. So we decided to come back to Belgium, start a family, you know, in a white picket fence and, uh, you know, close to the family and everything. So that was a, a turning point. And that's when I said, okay, I'm going to start my own business now. Uh, did, did, you, did you mind or, or did you did you kind of had the, the thought that having a child was kind of not part of the roadmap that you had in mind or was it all kind of planned out or expected or I don't know? Uh, it's, it, there's no real, I mean, in my life there are two roadmaps, I guess. There's a professional roadmap and there's the personal one. Um, and I don't let, you know, I keep them quite separate. But it's the, the personal, it's like the family and uh, wife and kids that always comes first. You know, they are the big roadmap. And then everything outside of that roadmap is my playing field. There I can do whatever I want. So, you know, when the wife and the kids are happy, I can do ev anything I want. You know, I will never get any, any negative feedback or pushbacks. So I'm lucky in that matter. So uh, having the baby was, was a dream. Uh, it did interrupt my professional career because my wife said, I really want to go back to Belgium, um, which was a surprise because we were both very happy, had very good, you know, very good jobs, in big companies in the US. Um, Would you say like having, having jobs at, at a big company is kind of a necessary step to get into building your own company or is it, it no. not necessary at all? I don't think so. I mean, it's, it's an advantage um, in the way, in the sense that you get, you know, you can build up a lot of experience very quickly when you work in big companies. Like if you work for the big four, they will squeeze you like a lemon, but you will learn a lot out of it. Uh, you will work for a lot of different companies on a lot of projects and, you know, you will learn a lot very quickly. Um, but there's, you know, um, and there's also the benefit of making some money. So if you, if you are a bit financially savvy, uh, you can build a buffer that allows you to get started on your own business. Um, is this something is you got from, from your parents, like being on the, on the financial side, I, I, I mean, because like in my, well, in my youth, I think like the financial kind of upbringing was not, was not that good, I guess. So now I'm learning it on my own, but I feel like if you have the financial upbringing from the start, that really helps. Is yeah, well, from your parents, or I, I guess so. I mean, my parents also had good jobs, so we never, you know, we, uh, as a child, I never thought about 
a thing like money, you know, money was never an issue, but we also never got everything we wanted. So uh, my parents were always very conscious about what they spent, when they spent it, on what they spent. Um, and I'm personally, I'm a, a big fan of not spending too much money in life because, you know, I think people are just generally happier when they have less stuff. This is something I'm very convinced about. The less you have materialistic stuff, mm -hmm. of course you need the basics, you know, you need a good bed and, you know, food and everything. But in terms of having stuff like big cars or whatever, I think the less you have, the better. Um, which meant that when we were going abroad, so we lived in London, Paris and uh, Cincinnati, and we always went for the smallest, cheapest um, apartments uh, that was always, that we could find closest to work and to the center of the city. So uh, our life, quality of life was much more important than having a luxurious apartment. When we went to the grocery store, we would always try the cheapest products first. Uh, you know, when, I, when there's a shower curtain to be bought, um, we would always buy the, the two euro one first because the four euro one was two euros more expensive. Um, so it's just, uh, you know, it's, it came sort of a habit, um, you know, start from the cheapest and then see if it's really crap then move up. Uh, so looking for the right quality at the right price. It's something I was very conscious about from the start. Yeah. And it gave me a buffer that allowed me to, you know, uh, get a, a smaller loan. And because of the smaller loan, I could save more. And, you know, it kind of accumulates from there on. So I think my parents definitely have a, an impact because they never had any luxury, uh, although they had sufficient money. And I kind of have the same, like, you know, I'd rather not spend all my money right yeah, away. Yeah. I, I kind of think the same right now. So at this point, I'm trying to invest in stock market as well, uh, ETFs. Mm -hmm. So hopefully over the long run, it will be a good thing to do. Although I'm not 100% sure, but they, they always say play the long game and eventually yeah. everything will turn out well. So uh, that's what I'm trying to do. And especially since the whole situation right now, it's it's pretty easy also to save more money because there's no mm -hmm. parties or no big events happening all the time. So that really helps. Um, since you mentioned um, not buying a lot of stuff and just like being happy with less, uh, while we were working together, um, you had a quote about Marie Kondo. Uh, mm -hmm. You still remember the quote? Of course. Does it spark joy? <laughs> yeah. Does it spark joy? Uh, is this something that, that you use in your daily life as well? Uh, for those who don't know Marie Kondo, uh, she's kind of a clean-up, um, how do you say it? Um, kind of a clean-up expert, I guess. And she has the philosophy that if you mm -hmm. clean up your house and tidy everything, that you'll be more at ease and you feel better. Uh, and do, do you also take that with you in your professional life or in your personal life? Yes, I think it's uh, it's hugely important, and it's probably my best and my worst habit. Uh, if I'm not 100% satisfied, I change, uh, which means that you know, uh, I, I I changed jobs a lot uh, because I felt like you know I wasn't super satisfied. And then when I had my own company, it was cool because I felt like okay, this is the freedom. If I'm not happy, 
I can just change my behavior, I can change the company, you can change business model and so on. Uh, but also in my personal life, um, you know, I try to have not much stuff, but the stuff I have must must spark joy. If, uh, you know, I had a, especially in the beginning of the first lockdown, I noticed that actually my desk at home wasn't that great. So uh, I didn't hesitate and I did spend money on, on a standing desk, um, which I enjoy now very much. And I feel like, wow, it's, it's really adding value to my life. And that's just because I felt like, well, you know, sitting down all day doing Zoom calls is not fun. You know, it doesn't spark joy. Uh, let's invest to make that better. So, and I think it's a good criteria to, to see what you should keep and what should you should, uh, you know, yeah. eliminate. How many times a day are you standing up right now then, since you have a standing desk? It's like an eight hour work day, I guess. Yeah. And so now you stand up eight hours a day. Yeah. I, I do have my chair. So sometimes I sit down to like, you know, just change position a bit, but I stand up eight hours a day now. Do you, do you feel the difference in your in your body or absolutely it's it's a lot less tiring to stand up all day than it is to sit down all day so uh, I feel like you know uh, my legs you know have a lot my head has more energy standing standing up than sitting down that's for sure so, so you, don't, you don't need extra energy for actually I don't think you drink coffee right you, you just drink I drink a lot of tea yeah so, so you're also cut out to the tea then in your life? No. Not yet. <laughs> uh, tea, tea sparks joy for me, right? <laughs> yeah. um, I did switch. Oh, or I added green tea as well. So I was drinking a lot of black tea, uh, you know, which, which gives you a kick because of the, you know, what is it, tea, whatever. Uh, green tea is a bit softer. So I read a book, actually. Uh, I have it with me. Make oh, time. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, Interesting. Um, you should read it from uh, with, with Jake Knapp and John Zaretsky. Make time. Ah, Make from, time. Uh, the same one that um, that wrote yeah. the Sprints uh, book. Yeah, Design Sprints. So they're uh, two guys, you know, work for Google. Wow, but also they're just very passionate about organizing your life in a more, you know, in a better way. Uh, and they do this. In business, so they're like, if you want to do a project, you know, they have a system to do this project, doing design sprints. Mm -hmm. uh, but they also have a system for your life, um, where, and I guess in this book, I'm just going to cheat a bit and look how many there are. Uh, so they have a system, and they, you know, also put the system in a nice structure. I think there's like a uh, hundred very practical tips they give to give yourself more energy um, and make your days just more pleasant, you know, give you more time because the pressure of time is very often uh, what you know gives people stress. So th these are a hundred tips of how to improve your timekeeping, how to make sure you deliver on time, how to make sure you enjoy your time with your family more uh, and how to make more time. And one of the tips was uh, don't drink black tea all the time drink black tea until a certain point, and then in the evening start drinking a green tea to give the perfect balance. Mm -hmm. um, they also have tips for coffee then, or what's, what's the reasoning behind it? Because of caffeine? Yeah, so they say drink tea or coffee uh, because they get into the, the neuroreceptors where your, you know, your fatigue 
yeah. I don't know how that works, but where your, your tiredness would go. Um, so when you drink tea or coffee at the right time with caffeine or tea in, um, you know, it will help you to, to survive the day and to get over the boost. Uh, but if you, of course, if you drink caffeine in the evening, you're killing your body, you're yep. giving yourself a jet lag, and the next day you will pay for it. And if you do this day by day by day by day, uh, well, in the long term, you're just, uh, you know, burning yourself out because mm -hmm. you're not giving your body enough sleep. Yeah, I think half-life of caffeine is something like six hours. So after six hours, like half of the, the, the potent part of the caffeine is out of your system. But so like half of it is still there. So I try to stop at about 5 p.m. Also try to do this at the office. Uh, I feel like that that helped because some people yeah. they can just drink espresso just before bed and just sleep fine. But yeah, I mean, if you yeah. start doing well, that, then uh, you'll it's be probably because they're jet lagged. That's why they sleep. But you know, yeah. the body is not liking it, yeah. uh, and that's what they say as well. I think around five o'clock is your last, you know, moment of the day you can drink black tea or coffee. Yeah. That's very caffeinated. And then, Have you tried that other other rules from the book as well? Uh, I have. Um, let me see if there's any any good ones I should tell, talk about right now. So the book is called Make Time. Um, so what thing like a, a key element of how they work is they say you know you people have so much to do they don't get anything accomplished, right? Mm -hmm. So um, so what they say is like look. If you want to feel happy, just make sure that you pick one highlight every day, like the one thing you need to get done that day. And if you have succeeded in, com in completing that highlight, you can be pleased with yourself and then think about the next thing you're going to do the next day. Does you know, it need to be a big task or can it be a small task as well? It can be whatever you need to get done uh, that day. You know, it could be a subtask of a, of a bigger task. Um, like if you want to read a book of 200 pages, you could say like today I need to read 25 pages. Um, very often it's, it's something like, you know, for me it's go running today, uh, you know, get my accountancy back in shape, um, start that project, make sure, you know, the website is, is fixed, stuff like that. Uh, so it could be, could be anything. But if you, have, if you just, of all the things you need to do, if you pick one highlight, uh, it will give just give you more joy because you have the feeling you accomplished something. You know, there's nothing worse than working very hard all day long um, and then in the evening feel like I haven't done anything or I haven't accomplished anything. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that was a good one. I also apply now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely feel just like planning out your day. Maybe that's just me, but like planning out your day beforehand also really helps in accomplishing things because if you don't. Maybe some people are really good at it, but if I don't write stuff down to, to do, like literally, then I'm just, and my brain is just overflowing with stuff that I can do or want to do at some point during the day. Uh, so planning in general, I think just helps. Uh, but I mean, work kind of forces you to do that as well. So Yeah, but it's, I mean, life is more than work, right? So, yeah, yeah, definitely. But actually, yeah, so I also do it in uh, in my calendar for my spare time. So, for example, for this okay. podcast and then preparation for the podcast and 
for other stuff on the YouTube channel. Uh, I try to plan it out a little bit because if I don't do it, and it could be that there's also stuff in like in there like watching a movie, for example. That, that's, right. Know. So important. That's a good one. Uh, we didn't really uphold to that one. Uh, one tip is watch movies, not series. Uh, huh? Like. You can watch a movie every day, but you can't start a series because series eat up your time. So uh, why did you watch Queen Gambit then? Because I, I didn't <laughs> uphold to all of the rules in the book, right? Uh, and I would recommend it to me. And we kind of, you know, we also said like it's a mini series. So yeah. even if it eats up our time, it's not like it's, there's eight, eight or nine seasons of it. Yeah, true. And um, it's a really good series too. I it is. So. And you started it's playing chess, right? I did, yes. How's your, how's your, how's your progress? Did you play before? It, it, uh, it's amazing. So uh, I was always interested in chess as a child. So I used to play my parents, whatever. You know. um, but I remember I also had a chess board uh, as a student. So uh, I, did, I did play it, but I never really studied it. And then I forgot all about it until I saw The Queen's Gambit on Netflix, the series. Um, and I was like, wow, this is cool. Uh, because they were, they were always talking about, you know, the, the Sicilian and the Queen's Gambit, the raw moves in chess. And I was like, wow, there's a whole science. There are systems behind this. Uh, how analytical. Maybe I should study them and then, you know, play chess again. So I, uh, I got an account on chess.com, which yep. is an absolutely amazing website i think it's you know of all websites the best one i've ever encountered it's really incredible how their user experience is is pretty it's it's crazy because you know you can play against other players but you can also follow lessons and you know they do you can analyze your games it's it's very complete and very impressed so what happened was i started playing against you know people on chess.com i was crap because they they, they already studied some some of the systems and I haven't. Uh, and then I said like, okay, let's try some of the lessons. And then there was a lesson about how to uh, like win the game with checkmate in four moves. And then with that knowledge, I started playing games again and I just tried the move and it started working. So suddenly my ranking got up because I kind of got the principle behind why, why do you, how can you win in four moves? And that principle applies to other parts of the game as well. So I started winning and then I sort of plateaued. Um, and then I took another course on more advanced techniques and then I started winning again and I'm plateauing again. So actually, uh, you know, another book I got from the library, um, it's the right. chess master. Did you just um, put your library just next to you? <laughs> right. uh, well, it's behind me, right? Oh, so, yeah. uh, and this one is just by accident on my desk. Because, you know, uh, when I'm, when I need to clear my head, I start reading about chess now. And uh, it's fun. I mean, every time you learn, it's like cheating almost, you know, you learn and then you start playing better and then you can go to the next yeah. level. So, so can, can cool. you also already kind of predict the different routes that, that how the game will go or how, how does it uh, Well, you, you can, in the, I mean, there's the... So every game has three scenes, the opening, the middle game, and the end game. Uh, and the opening, you, you can see which technique other people are using. So on the level I'm at, everybody has a system they use to get started. 
So you kind of know like, okay, you know, if you're going to do this, I'm going to reply with that, and then you're going to do this, and you know, everything evolves. Um, but then it's a, you know, it's a very creative game. So every time you think like, oh, he's using this system, so this will happen, and then suddenly he does something completely different, or I do something crazy. I, you know, I want to, I offer him to sacrifice some of a, like a piece, and he was like, well, I don't want to take it. Uh, so you can surprise people. Uh, so it's an interesting game. Is it is it the last book you're reading right now, or is there another one that you're reading right now? I'm always reading uh, a couple of books at the same time, I guess. Uh, so the chess book is is my my personal book, uh, but then in terms of business books, I'm now reading Crossing the, the Chasm. chasm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So remember. Uh, we, I guess we learned about the book at the same time. Um, uh, I think so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But first, I was always downloading books and reading it on my e-reader, which was not a great experience, but now I'm just buying books uh, and great volumes. Yep. And just the paper versions, I really get through them, I, you know, I learn from them. Uh, that's why also in my podcast, I started interviewing the authors of certain books. Because yep. um, every time I read a book, I really study it, right? Mm -hmm. I, make my conclusions, say like, okay, what's, what am I going to do different? Now I have read this book. If the answer is nothing, then pretty much reading the book was, was pretty useless. Um, so I always, always try to learn something. And I guess that's, uh, that's, and I learned that probably that's one of my, my key drivers um, as a human being as well, is continuously learning. And if you're starting a business, uh, you know, life just hits you in the face with everything you didn't know about running a business. So it's an absolute obligation that you continue learning every day. Um, and the moment, you know, you're being an employee doing the same thing every day, I guess the learning experience becomes less and that's a trigger for me to, you know, to want to do something else. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, actually I've seen um, parts of most of your podcasts already. Also, well, even before this podcast also, but also as part of research, of course. And you've interviewed uh, Michael or Michael Humble and mm -hmm. also Jürgen Engels. Uh, so, but they are, I, I guess they're, they're, they're quite famous in Belgium already. Uh, did you know them beforehand or how did you actually get them on? Yeah, I didn't know them. Um, I just, I saw they had a new book out. So Jürgen Engels. He's a famous, uh, well, famous. He's an investor, uh, very rich person who also sold his business. And he wrote a book, 15 Lessons for the Entrepreneur. So I was like, well, you know, I'm going to learn something. And it was a very easy book to read. Uh, so I wrote a review, like, you know, what are the lessons that I've learned from this? And then, uh, you know, on social media, I said, thank you, Jürgen Engels, for your uh, nice book. I enjoyed it. Here's my review. And he replied to my review with saying like, well, cool, glad you enjoyed it. And then I replied to him saying, well, you know, you want to have a chat about it? Uh, I think there's more questions I would like to ask you, uh, you know, about things in the book, but also other questions. Mm -hmm. And he was like, sure, you know, book something in. Awesome. Uh, and then with uh, Michael Amblet, it was exactly the same thing. He had a book out. I read it. I enjoyed it. So uh, I reviewed it and I told him like, you know, when I come on, on my podcast, and he was like, "Sure." And you wrote, because uh, nobody uh, knows you, right? 
Sorry? Nobody knows you. Is that's the title of Yeah, nobody knows you about thought leadership. Mm. Um, what I liked about that book was that it was very practical. Uh, it was like, okay, you know, like I said, if you're building new technology, um, just go out and, out there and, and try to sell it. It's almost impossible. So, you know, you will spend 98% of your time uh, failing, only 2% succeeding. Uh, instead of spending all your time that way, maybe you should be sharing your knowledge about the technology you're, you're inventing, the technology you're working about, and people will come to you. you know, that's, that's the way it went with Clever. And that's also the methodology uh, Michael Mbler is, is really uh, uh, talking about in his book. He's like, you need to become a thought leader in your area, you know, if you achieve that status, people will come to you because you know if they have a problem or if they if they, if they are inspired by what you do, um, they will find you and you know they will want to work with you. Because mm -hmm. people, one great saying, it's not from Michael, but it was in his book, was uh, people don't like to be sold to, so they don't like salesmen, but they love to buy, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. People get it, really enjoy buying, um, but they hate it when a sales guy comes to them and tries to sell them something. Well, so I guess it's especially true if, if some salesman comes to them and they try to sell them something that they don't necessarily need. I guess it's like it's like the famous scene with the pen, like sell me this pen, right. and then they just uh, ask the other person like write something down for me. Oh, but I don't have a pen, and then. Right, and that's the whole thing. That's why the 98% says no. Um, at any given time, like the assumption is that only 2% have the exact need for the exact product you're selling uh, at that time. Mm -hmm. So, and people only buy when they have a need to buy, right? So, unless you're uh, a super salesman, then you can twist their arms or uh, tell them stories in a second, um, then you can do that. Or you're selling something everybody actually needs. You know, if you're selling, uh, let me say, uh, water bottles, well, everybody needs a water bottle at some time. So you might say, like, okay, I'll just buy some. I'll, I know I'll need them. If you're selling new technology, people are like, what are you talking about, man? We're just, you know, we don't know anything about it. So, um, um, yeah. So, uh, so you started with Clever, and then uh, Clever Bots came after that. Then you sold the company. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what was the reasoning behind selling the company on your end? I would love to say it, it was uh, all planned, right? I loved, actually love telling the story like, you know, when the broads came back, started my company, you know, we grew the team and then sold it internationally. Like it was all part of the plan. Uh, the reality is that um, you know, as a, an entrepreneur, you just try to do your very best every day. Uh, when you have a business that's running, the business runs you most of, most of the time. Yeah, you're not running the business. Um, and then you keep on putting energy into it, talking to people, making decisions. And then suddenly, you know, to speak in chess terms, there's the end game. And if you're really good, then, you know, the end game is exactly what you were planning. Um, if you're still learning how the game works, a bit like I was, uh, then the end game just happens and then you just take it or you don't. So uh, I guess we realized as a company that you know the Belgian market was going to be too small. 
or we're not going to survive in the Belgian market alone. Um, so I deliberately did talk to investors internationally. Uh, I was looking for opportunities. And one of those guys came to me like, hey, we have an opportunity here. We're not going to invest in you, but you should work together with Zovu, who's going to, you know, who's going to be a great partner for you. And then as soon as they discovered the technology we built, they were like, well, we're not going to work with you. You know, uh, we would like to acquire you if, if you're up to that. Um, and then it was October 2019, and um, it was a decision that needed to, be, needed to be made, right? So it was like, shall we continue on our independent path for world domination or become a part of a company that's already working with, with Amazon and Miele and uh, all the big brands in the world? And I guess, you know, we've, we've already been through uh, tough times uh, before, so because of not finding the right customers, um, you know, our money running out, everything, you know, any decent entrepreneur should experience, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but for me, it was like, okay, this is, this is the, the perfect, you know, ending, the perfect exit. It's, it's a great story, but it's only, it's also the sensible thing to do. Mm -hmm. uh, because future was unsure at that time, you know, we could have said no and just continued, and there would have been investors. Mm -hmm. um, but I knew, like, this is there's no secure, there's no certainty that we will survive the next year. So uh, we decided to sell and became a part of a bigger company. And then just a couple of months later, Corona hits. Uh, so <laughs> many times I've thought, like, wow, well, that's well done by me. You know, that was a fantastic decision. Yeah. To, to sell at that point in time yeah. uh, because we would have been, you know, super dead uh, yeah. by now. I'm sure. Yeah, so, I think it. I think it, it was the right choice actually. So yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And it's been quite a journey. Like ever since I joined you at the company, and then everything we went through. Also, kind of the like I feel like the guy we did a trip with the team just before I think. Uh, we were required and then I, I felt at that point that you really noticed that the team was really good at working together like there was a very you built a very strong team that mm -hmm. linked together very well and I also think like that's one of one of one of your uh, many strengths but to build a great team that can work together very well that are, are just like yeah they just I mean yeah they just yeah. do it very well. So the secret uh, to that is um, I'm very aware of the things I'm, I'm not good at. So uh, I try to find people that are better than me in these aspects. Mm -hmm. uh, so whenever I hire somebody, they have to be a lot better than me, right? Uh, and I'm not too bad. So whoever I get, uh, will have a significant added value to the team. Um, so that's that's one thing. And like the personal relationships, I, I don't have a system to hire people. Uh, my only two rules are, one, can you do something I can't? And two is, uh, do I like you as a person? Mm. And if, if, if those two conditions are satisfied, then you're hired. So that's very simple. So. Um, it's a very simple process. It's like, you know, everything you don't know yet, you can learn. Um, 
but till what you're... point do you think that that actually works? Like, I feel it works for smaller for small teams up until a certain <laughs> threshold. Like I don't know, twenty people maybe something like that. Uh, but maybe after that, or maybe then it's more on team basis, right? Like not I, the entire I, company, or I, I disagree. I think if you were a company of 100 people, I would still expect people to be better than I am in some aspects and to ah, be enjoyable yeah. to, to spend some time with. So um, yeah, I think it I'm, goes for, for every size. I was thinking about the part where the people need to be, uh, be getting along, like everyone needs to get along. Uh, yeah, if you have the right people, that works out, right? We didn't have any... I'm, I'm going to say it. We didn't have any women uh, <laughs> at that point. I know, I'm not sure if that makes a difference, but I think it's uh, when I, I play football as well in teams, and I've seen that, you know, I've, I've been in very few teams where people didn't get along. Like if you're working towards the same goal uh, and everybody is respectful and, you know, feels supported, um, then, you know, people, if people get along, they work well together, uh, usually. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I, I agree, I agree. Um, so, since you've uh, sold the, the company, uh, are you working on something else right now? Or what, yes. what's your next big dream, I'd say? How so, do you call it, the B-Hack? The B-Hack, yes. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, So it's, it's an interesting question, right? So I, uh, when I sold it uh, and then left the company, my first idea was like, I'm not going to do anything for, for a year. That's first, you know, for a week that was in my mind, like, I'm just going to take a vacation. Uh, but that only took well, like one week. That was it. Like uh, after one week, it was like, what what kind of maniac you know takes a year off i wouldn't be able to i wasn't able to do it um so i started thinking about the things i enjoy doing and um i started thinking about what should i do should i you know start work for a company or start freelancing or uh, do something else you know start a new business and if i would start a new business what should i do um and then you know, I went through all over all the options in my head. Like you know, uh, there's there's a system. There are systems about how to make decisions, and it's all about you know, be passionate about what you do. Make sure that it's an added value to to other people. Uh, have a purpose, and then you know, you will find the right thing. Mm -hmm. And in the end, I just I did a whole exercise, and I came back to well, I like working with data, and I like uh, working with retailers and brands. So exactly what I've been doing my entire career. Um, so I decided, okay, let's, let's start again. Let's start again from scratch. Uh, think about a new solution, like the, the, the time we came up with the chatbot idea. Let's discover new technology or new principles that could help us uh, help other companies being more efficient, selling more and so on. Um, and I've, I've been doing a lot of experiments. So it's, uh, it's been a blast the, the past couple of months. So uh, everything that 
jumped into my mind. I believe execution is the most important thing. So everything that jumped into my mind, I built something around it. I tried to make it work. Um, and almost everything failed. And then suddenly a couple of things do work. Um, so with uh, so I called it well, the data what are arena. Some of the things that, that failed then? Yeah, for example, we started a marketplace for local shops so they could go and sell their stuff online during the lockdown. Um, I mean, it's, uh, it seemed like an unbeatable project because, you know, local businesses were forced to shut and they didn't have a website to sell. So we offer them a free channel to reach customers and to customers who could no longer uh, buy stuff at their local shop. We still offer them a channel so they could. Um, so we set up a website and uh, onboarded businesses and onboarded uh, customers that are people to buy there. And it started running. And then I realized like, well, running a marketplace that is not automated is insane. So you have all these orders coming in and all these orders have to manually be put through to the, the businesses. Uh, and they need to get paid, so you get you need to deliver. You know, like you need to arrange all the orders. You need to arrange all the payments. Uh, I still haven't gotten through all my invoices, so it actually started running pretty well. Uh, and in the end of the game, because you're a marketplace, you only get a commission from the sales that are being made. So it's you need massive volumes to be profitable. So it was a lot of work for very small return. Um, and it was not enjoyable because, you know, there were complaints, of course, because wrong deliveries, uh, bad communication, perhaps sometimes. Uh, so customers sometimes like one in, in 500 orders were not done correctly. So, but you know, if you have a lot of orders, just customer support you need to do. Mm -hmm. Then there were, uh, suppliers that didn't understand the system that didn't know how to work with Excel. And that was a mess as well. So. Is that something specifically due to the small local business owners or? Yes, probably yes. So it's like you have to buy local and, uh, you know, you have to, we have to get our local businesses up to a level where they can get into e-commerce. Mm -hmm. uh, but the people who own the businesses are not ready. You know, they've, they've been doing their electronic shop for 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, they're used to selling you know, on the counter, they're not used to opening a computer to, to sell their stuff. Or do deliver you believe it. there's a, a future for local businesses that do not jump on the e-commerce trade or the digital? Absolutely. There is absolutely a future for local business online. That, that, I mean, for existing. Yeah. So if you're an existing local business uh, and you don't have the people or you don't have the understanding of how e-commerce works, um, there is no future online for you. No. Even if, if there are very, very so easy platforms, I mean, we were doing everything, everything for them, but they still were like, yeah, we, we don't know how to do this. So uh, do, do they think they will survive without the digital part of their business? Uh, depending on which business you are, of course. Um, I think it will become more difficult, increasingly more difficult, uh, because 
also now in the lockdown, people are, you know, are being taught how to buy stuff online. So there'll definitely be a part of the people that will remain buying online. Uh, and there will be businesses who disappear because, you know, um, because of the fact people buy online now. Um, but will they disappear immediately? I don't know. It's going to be harder. Uh, but it's, I think it's a natural evolution of, of what happening. Like there was, you always had the local businesses. And then when the big malls appeared, uh, they were like, well, you know, local businesses are going, are going to go bankrupt because of those big malls appearing. And then e-commerce appeared and it was like, wow, you know, local business and the malls are suffering. Um, I think it's just a, a natural evolution of society where, you know, uh, going from horse and carriage to cars, you know, the guys who built uh, the carriages are also bankrupt now, but you have car builders instead. So it's just, it's an evolution in our society and our business, I think, where new technology is changing all things. So will the really old school businesses disappear? I think by definition, yes, but you new think things will appear. Disappear? Yes, absolutely. Mm, okay, I, I I don't like uh, your example from the uh, carriage from the horse. There yeah. there are still companies that build those, right? But they have yeah. either exceptional quality, for example, or they have a unique experience yeah. that can be found anywhere. And I think that's kind of the same for the local businesses. Like even if they wouldn't go online, if they can offer exceptional quality of a or an awesome experience yep. then there still might be a future for them but otherwise yeah. i don't think that's the case they have to they have to have a usp right so even a local electronic shop uh, might have great service and you know if you're if you buy a dishwasher there uh, like and it breaks down and you know that within 10 minutes the guy from the store will come and fix it yeah, that's unbeatable. So if you can, and that's why like I took, when I talked to the old school electronic shop, they're like, forget about e-commerce. Uh, we devote ourselves 100% to the customers we have. So, and if we do a good job there, we will survive. And I think it's a very good business model for them because they were not capable of doing the online bit, but they're very capable of doing the, the customer service bit. Uh, but if you're, if you don't have that USP, uh, well, you know, then you're... Do, do you still think that it is, they are able to still grow their business? Or maybe that's just not what they want to do? Yeah, exactly. They don't really want to do that. Um, I think when I look at the world, all I see is opportunity, right? So uh, it's like... If you, if you want to work, start a business and grow it, there's so much, so much you can do, um, but you have to want to do it. I could never run an electronic store uh, with great service because I'm not the guy who's going to deliver that great service, right? Uh, I don't have the patience also to, to do a little store that sells okay and, you know, has a limit by nature. I wouldn't be able to do it. So I guess every type of entrepreneur will have its own way of working, his own ambition. 
like small or in great service and great quality or something spectacular or scalable with a high you know high risk that it fails that's probably going to be more my path um, yeah. so is that something you aspire to do with uh, your latest company as well yeah, i think it's going to be a natural evolution so if i if i see uh, we were looking at so we did a study because i'm i'm really interested in how retail works and how consumers behave and in data so we did a study about uh, how people shop online and why they choose for certain e-commerce players or don't choose for others. Um, and then you can see that like, okay, the dominant ones, you know, in Belgium you have bull.com, like you have Amazon in the US, I guess. Um, and these players do everything right, but they, I think they have two things. They make sure that people find them and they also make sure that once they're on the website, people convert, right? Um, so I guess Sovo is a, is a great example of a solution uh, that helps people convert once they're on the website. Yep. So, and I was thinking like, okay, so if you work on how do people get on the website, right? Um, how could you achieve that? Then the answer, the, cl the classical answer is, well, you could optimize your SEO. Then I was thinking like, how can you optimize your SEO? Well, make sure your content is, uh, is perfectly for the things people are looking for. But then when you're looking at, uh, for example, Amazon or bull.com, I don't think their content is so impressive. So I'm thinking, you know, uh, they actually need a tool like, like Zovu to, to make sure they convert, but, um, how, do, how does their SEO work? So I was experimenting like, like, okay, what happens when I write articles about products, like giving them the recommendation? If they could do it like that, they could actually be found. Mm -hmm. uh, and now I'm thinking about uh, how inefficient it is to write content. So now I'm thinking about how can actually, how could AI actually write the content? If you know their products, you know, you know what the reviews are, uh, couldn't, they, couldn't you build an AI solution that just writes all the content so you are SEO optimized so people find you more easily? Why would, why would you need a digital marketeer to optimize your SEO? Why do, couldn't do you, you know about uh, GPT-3? GPT-3. So uh, that's, yeah, that's an AI uh, developed by uh, OpenAI, a company from uh, Elon Musk. And yeah. it can actually write articles by itself. Yeah. So just, so just you just feed it a few sentences and then it can create a more or less coherent article. I don't know how yeah. SEO optimized it would be, but I mean, it's, I've seen some examples and it's, it's really impressive. Yeah, so that's why I, that's where I'm experimenting with right now. So uh, it's quite cool. It's, uh, you know, it's, and it's definitely less difficult than you think. Uh, you know, if you follow certain templates and if you manage to get the right data, I think it's possible. Uh, but I haven't seen any practical example of, uh, you know, uh, an AI that writes product recommendations so that are optimized for SEO. Yeah. It's not something I've, I've found yet, so I'm, I'm, I'm building one right now. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's awesome. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I, I th yeah, they are allowing people to use uh, an API to use the GPT-3 um, mm -hmm. solution, I think. Uh, haven't tried it for myself, probably won't, yeah. but I'm looking at the, uh, the outcome of things. And yeah. I mean, the articles that it produces, they are almost indistinguishable from content that is written by humans. Yeah, and but that's the, that's the nice thing, right? Uh, if you go online, you're looking for like, which, which gift to buy my, uh, my girlfriend, or in your case, my grandmother. Um, <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> you could, like, if there's an article, people are not going to read the article, you know. They just read headlines, um, they, they read Video. content that, that gives them, like, a spark, and they decide, right? So people are way too lazy to actually read full articles. Um, so, I mean, it is, it's, it's definitely possible to write something that activates the customer in the right way. And do you, do you think having this automated content is something good for society? Uh, if, if like you also see these deep fakes, for example, or even I've seen examples yeah. of a, I think a South Korean news presenter, and uh, she wasn't real. It was all computer yeah. generated. That the text that she said was also computer generated, and I mean you're looking at a video about AI, so you kind of notice that it's fake. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that if you would see it on television, you would notice it because you just yeah. don't expect it, and it's so close to reality. Uh, but I'm not sure if I if I think that's a good thing that's happening. I mean it's cool and all, like from a technological yeah. perspective. It's awesome, like, I, I really like it, but I don't feel that's, yeah. It's yeah, dangerous. so my, my reasoning is that um, if AI can help the humans, if I can increase customer delights, if I can do our homework, then why would it be a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. So I can spend, you know, I can spend three hours trying to figure out the best present to buy my grandmother, or I can find in five minutes an article written that says, here are the five top products that you know, we can recommend to buy your grandmother. Um, and I know that you know, with the purpose of, if I buy any of those five, my grandmother will actually be super pleased with that gift. Uh, so. When you look at the outcome, grandmother gets great gifts, cool. I spend less time uh, researching websites or online, trying to figure out what you know, seven-year-old people like. Also, who I want time. Mm -hmm. So, I would say like, who is harmed in the process? I think when you have bad intentions, then there's a problem. You know, mm -hmm. but that's. Not because of the AI, that's because of your bad intentions. Like, if you want to scam people using articles that are written by AI, you know, are you going to blame the AI or are you going to blame, I blame the people who use it in the wrong way. Or the people that built the AI in the first place, that could also be something that has to be taken into account, right? Because 
uh, there's something like I don't know if because I'm not a, a programmer myself, but uh, like biased programming or the AI at the start it, it does need some rules or some general way it, it needs to think. And if let's say there's an AI that's developed by somebody with bad intentions, then the outcome could also be in, in favor of the one who created the AI in the first place. So how yeah. would they be able to prevent that? How do you prevent bad people doing bad things? <laughs> I don't think it's possible, but yeah. So, I mean, and that's, I always have difficulty when they blame the technology. Uh, I think technology will continue to develop at a faster pace than the government can regulate it. So uh, the front runners will always like create unethical so solutions that are potentially unethical because of course, by, by definition, the governments will not have thought about, well, okay, this is going to happen. So they can't regulate something that's gonna, that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at what, you know, what the, what they're dealing, how they're dealing with Facebook right now, they're catching up, right? Facebook has been around since, uh, what was it? 2004, something like that. Yeah. Something crazy. Yeah, okay. uh, so now they're catching up like, mm, maybe, you know, social media isn't that cool after all. Um, AI is going to be the same thing, you know, the governments will always have to catch up. So what I can hope for, and uh, that's why I'm also involved in the humane AI program of uh, Vivas University College, you know, they're going to set up a program where um, they teach business people about humane AI, like, you know, uh, and that will be a part of ethical choices. What do you allow your technology to do, yes or no? Um, but in the end, it's the, the people who decide. It's, it's like the consumer, consumer the victim. Sorry? Is it an, uh, like a questionnaire before the AI runs to kind of guide it into which choices are acceptable for it to make or? Yeah, so one of the things that's developed is, uh, is like a, a sort of, you know, they're like, what are they called, cards? So every card contains there are like 10 cards containing five questions. And they're like, you know, there are basically 50 questions you could ask yourself about what you're, and there's, I think five cards about, before you start, think about those questions. When you're programming, think about those questions. And when you uh, deliver, think about those questions, like just to make sure that you keep in mind all the right stuff. Um, so that there's a framework being built but there's also a difference between a framework that's there to help you guide to make ethical choices and also just following them or not following them, you know. Yep. It's not because the framework is there that you will follow them. So I'm very interested in seeing what's going to happen because of course, people with bad intentions have always been front runners in using technology um, mm -hmm. first, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like on the technology part, um, uh, I think about a week ago, I was uh, talking to my uncle and because I'm going to, uh, to the stock market and so on, I was just talking to him because he also does that. And I hadn't really thought about the way he actually buys and sells stocks because I'm on these online platforms and apps on my phone. I just asked him like, okay, but uh, on what platform do you buy your stocks? He's like, oh, no, uh, I always go to the bank. 
Like every time he wants to buy or sell something, he has to physically move to the bank to get it done and then return. And they got me yeah. thinking about the way it has technology has evolved in the last 40 years, I guess. So uh, let's say since the beginning of the invention of internet up until now, it's been so crazy. Uh, so what, what do you think? Can, do you think you can make a prediction about what the world will look like in 30 or 40 years with the addition of AI to our lives? Yeah, no. AI is going to be in everything we do, right? So um, it's like everything we, everything that's software today will be AI. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to last for 30 years. Uh, 30 years is a long time. Um, but so everything we do will be smarter. So the, right now, the way we are talking to each other, still, we still use, you know, a lot of hardware for this conversation, right? There's a, there's our computers, there's, you know, some, some audio, some video technology. Um, I think everything, like all the hardware we see today will be like maybe one sticker, perhaps, that we just say like, here we go, everything is connected, uh, synced. Um, so that's one thing, everything, you know, will continue to be smaller and AI will help us to set the right lights, set the right uh, audio damping and, and everything like that. Um, and it's gonna be like this for, you know, talks like this, but also for everything else. When we stand in our kitchen, uh, we still manually like put the fire on and then look for the pan and everything else. It's like, it's a, a quite inefficient way of preparing foods, you know. What if smart uh, devices could just light up exactly when we need them uh, with the device, with like the pots and the pans already on them? Um, what if the, the groceries, the ingredients we need are already in our fridge? that's already, you know, opening up and already throwing them into the pan. I think all these things are perfectly possible. And we're thinking, in, we're still thinking in a way kitchen works today. Uh, probably the whole process will be like a microwave today. Like, oh, it's easy. You just put stuff in, push a button and it comes out heated. Probably kitchen will be like, well, I'm hungry. Uh, you know, make my, make my food and it will come out like, we knew you were hungry. Uh, here's your food. Okay. Like, that, I would like to cook something like else life. today, you know, will be, okay, just say what you want to cook. And then the great chefs will be the guys, you know, DJing their kitchen and it will, will flow out. So, um, <laughs> that would be nice. and, and you can do this thought process for, for every single action we do every day. Like bathrooms will be hilarious, I'm sure. Uh, Bedrooms, the same thing. Like whenever we think we need something, it will be there. Like, oh right, cool. Uh, and everything will be by subscription, without doubt. You know, you will have uh, a Gordon Ramsay dinner every night. You know, if you have a Gordon Ramsay subscription, it's like cool, great food, exactly the way he would do it. Um, do you think everything will will become a subscription? Like, for example, the uh, the software packages from Adobe, the Adobe Suite and Creative Suite, and so on. They are already subscriptions and you already have things like 
Netflix or Uber or um, yeah. Airbnb is not a subscription, but I mean, technically it could be, I guess, like for a monthly fee, you can just stay at any yeah. place in the world you like. Uh, everything will be everything will be subscription. Uh, the, the light bulbs in your house will be by subscription, right? Uh, it's going to be like light. Yeah, I have a subscription to that. So I don't need to worry about how the lamps work to replace them or anything. It's like, you know, I bought this house with a lamp subscription. So with a heat subscription, so I'm cool with a desk subscription. So I'm going to upgrade it. You don't necessarily own anything anymore. Let's say you have a, an Uber um, subscription, so people won't own a car anymore. Do you think that is yeah. going away? Like owning things that are yeah. only for you? Yes. Uh, and being but a person that doesn't like to spend money, I guess, in the long run with subscriptions for companies. Sorry? That, that there's more, just more money to make from subscriptions in the long run. Well, it's money to be made and there's added value for, uh, for the customer. Uh, I mean, if you look at what Spotify does today uh, with music, I mean, it's so much easier than it used to be. Like when I was, when I was 16 years old, uh, the only way to listen to music was go to the store and buy a CD very expensively, listen to 12 songs, uh, like constantly the same songs, great, great experience. I mean, it was a great experience, but today Spotify is like, huh. Uh, I mean, it kind of devaluates the whole thing, but it, it adds so much value at the same time that it's, uh, mm. and I think the world will be Spotify uh, for sure. But, yeah. But I so, think for digital pro um, products, it makes sense because I mean, you can listen to the song at any time. It's not like you rented it, you rent the song, yeah. for example, and you can't listen to it right now because somebody else is listening to it. But let's say you, you rent in, in a car, then it's only you who can use it. It's only one person at a time. And then it's not, you don't really own it. I think there's a distinction to be made between the digital products and using that in the subscription model and physical products. With a subscription model okay i don't think so i think you know if you want a car you have a subscription to it great why not uh, i mean you're you pay for your car anyway either if, it, if it's a, a lump sum with a car that slowly degrades in value or you pay a subscription for a car that you know whenever it's broken you just get a new one because you're paying for a service right you're paying for transportation uh you're not paying for the the atoms anymore, you're paying for the service of, uh, of transportation. Mm. For so, cars, maybe that's kind of the leasing, uh, the leasing construction yeah. already. So for, uh, you know, some things are more obvious than others before, like for a desk chair, um, it's a subscription, okay, which means that I don't have to buy one, I just have an IKEA subscription to all of their furniture, uh, and when I'm tired of this one, I just say like, okay, let's switch it up. Um, and then this one goes to a cheaper subscription because it's used desk chairs. So people who didn't have the money to buy a very expensive desk chair, then get the one I used still in perfect condition, but they also have the value from it. So 
And uh, so I, I believe it's going to do good for also that's everything that's like fast fashion or um, the way we're spilling resources uh, on goods that could be reused easily. Um, I think it's going to be a positive evolution. Now, now that you mention it, for IKEA, that would be nice, I think. Like every few months, maybe switch around the furniture a little bit. Like mm -hmm. new chairs or a new a new sofa or yeah that new plant nice. hmm? new plant perhaps what's wrong with my plant I don't know but it would have been great if it was a subscription like <laughs> yeah. yeah I have this plant but if I don't like it I'm just you know, yeah uh, I just go to the app and say like okay switch around and then tomorrow some dude comes says like here's your new plant let, let me take the other one. I should also take a water a watering uh, subscription as well because I always forget to give it some water. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You could, and then you have to. I mean, I'm sure they can invent systems uh, where you attach a, a banner to your plant, and then it just gives gives it water when you need it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think like for the book part, I think there's also already a. a a subscription model no do you know of any for books yeah yeah it's called the library um, <laughs> yeah that's, that's easy right uh, if they become just a little bit more digital and they start delivering books they already have they have all all the infrastructure it's amazing um, so. true true yeah that that's um i mean that's Libraries are government-based, right? Or at yep. least in, in Belgium, they are. I don't know what the situation yeah. is like and around the world. Yeah. Actually, so my, the, my, hmm? my chess book comes from the library. So my wife's a, a big fan of the library as well. Are they still and open? They, they have a good system, right? If you, if you go to uh, my library in Belgium, uh, you can find all books in all libraries that are in Belgium available. And then if you want one, uh, it costs like one euro to bring it to the library closest to you. Mm -hmm. So just because of the fact that I'm reading books, no library has, of course, um, that's a bit of a pain. But if you're, if you're with fiction, I don't see why you would ever buy a book, really. Yeah, for fiction, I think it makes sense. I think libraries mostly have fiction books and not so much non-fiction. Um, th did you always read non-fiction books or was it a recent switch? Or I, uh, I read a lot when I was a kid. I read everything. Um, I see that with my children as well. They, they read a lot. I think it's good because it, it's the best way to learn. Then I became a student and I stopped reading because I was partying too much and everything I had to read was, was my uh, was my course material. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I started reading again much later. I lost quite some years. Um, so I've not always read non-fiction book? books. Sorry? Weren't you going to write your own book at some point? Yes. I still, I still remember you were going to write one. I, I actually came up with a second idea. Um, 
but that's now back to the the fridge, like they say. So. Um, so is this maybe it's not planned anymore. It's not planned. No, if I because I need to focus first, right? So yeah. I enjoy doing my experiments, uh, but at some point uh, in the next, I guess, year, I'll have to grow up and you know choose what I'm going to specialize in mm -hmm. and go all in on that topic. When I have that topic, I, I may write a book about it. Do you think that that's necessary to kind of specialize in something or do you still think that there's place for generalists at this point in time? There's definitely place for generalists. Um, I mean, whatever you learn from other disciplines uh, helps you in your specialization as well. So I never stop experimenting outside of, of what I'm doing. Uh, but if you're serious about building a business and really build it out, then you have to go all in on the on the concept. So there's there's no time for anything else anymore. So and I guess you know I think with Clever we did uh, a lot of the things badly because we were just learning. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I'm happy about is that you know I made some very all-in decisions, like you know, you, there were shareholders who were um, who were leaving. Um, I could have like said like, okay, let's do something else at an, at some point, multiple times. Um, you know, customers, project that didn't go well, uh, technology that didn't work well. Uh, at many times, I could have said like, let's pull the plug. Nobody gets hurt, and and where we have we've. You know, we can have a nice finish here, but I kept going all in uh, up to the point that I said, like, okay, this is not going to get better any better than this. Mm -hmm. um, so going all in, I think, is an absolute requirement uh, mm -hmm. to get the think, best possible results you can get. Mm -hmm. do, do you think perseverance is is the the most important thing you need to have as an entrepreneur, or what does it what does it take? to be a good entrepreneur? I think the most important thing is to enjoy what you're doing, uh, first of all. Because if you're doing it as a job, then you're, uh, you're in trouble because it's, uh, you know, it's the worst job ever. If you're doing it because you love it, then you know, it's not a job. And it's easy to persevere in, some, in doing something you are passionate about, I think. so. Uh, I came up with, with several ideas, uh, including the, the local business marketplace. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I went into the execution, I hated it. I like I was oh, so appalled by the, the logistics behind it and the, the social interactions. And it was definitely not something for me. And that's why I stopped doing it. You know, I think if you are passionate about helping local businesses and you're you think it's fun to to do the logistics optimization for orders and to deal with customers every day. I'm sure there are people like that. Then there's definitely a business opportunity for to create a local online business. Um, but for me, I wasn't passionate about it, so I just like said I, I'm stopping this because uh, I'm not going to be able to persevere with this and other stuff. You know, like uh, with our our chatbots adventure, 
uh, it was super hard, but you know, it was super fun as well. So we, uh, it was easy to continue. Yeah, that's definitely, which is so passion, joy, and perseverance. Those are kind of the three main things you think it takes to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, I mean, but again, on the, on the perseverance, uh, you need to have the courage to stop also, right? So uh, uh, yeah. if you have a, a bad idea that's not going to work, you probably should stop hitting that nail. So um, the kill your darlings story. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Th that's a hard one, I think. That, that once you get emotionally invested in something, that's maybe also where entrepreneurs struggle because everybody is in the end is just a human and they get emo emotionally involved at some point. Maybe it's just the, the crazy ones that don't have a, the emotional uh, part of them there or part in that, that it takes part of the entrepreneurial way, I guess, that those are the ones that actually, yeah, go to the, the highest top. Don't you think or? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, it's, it sounds worse uh, than it is to, to, to kill your darlings. Because mm. uh, from the second you do this, um, you're freeing up your time to start over again, right? So, uh, like, life only ends when you're 120 years old. Uh, is my opinion. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's so much time to, to get started again and to try out new stuff and do new stuff. So there's absolutely no reason why you would persevere in something that is not working out. Mm -hmm. And that works for entrepreneurs, but also my opinion for everything in life, like, you know, whatever is not productive, doesn't spark joy, um, is not worth the efforts. Just stop doing it immediately. All right. <laughs> I, I, I think an important thing is also just if you have an idea, just to get started, like don't worry yeah. too much about the details yet. Like, I think, like, for example, this podcast, I don't have a specific uh, microphone or professional gear or anything. I just want to mm -hmm. do this. And I think this that's a good way, I, I think, to get started and you can learn on the way. Uh, yeah, execution is everything, right? So ideas are absolutely useless, um, worthless things. Execution is everything. It's really, I mean, makes such a big difference. Mm -hmm. um, um, uh, Martin, so uh, since you're the first guest, uh, I also want to give you the privilege of uh, asking a question yourself. And then you can either answer yourself or we can both answer it. Uh, that's up to you. you. You can choose. Okay. I'm going first going to try to put my light on because I see my face is getting darker and darker and I'm going to end like dark fader. Uh, see, I see my ups, my setting, right. 
That's a bit better, except for the, the light in my face now, of course. Um, so a question I can ask. Uh, so uh, um, <laughs> uh, that's that's maybe something I could have asked in advance. <laughs> yeah, yeah think about that one. A question I can ask, and then I can answer it, or you will answer it. <laughs> Depends. What, what what you what you prefer. Now thinking, is there any question I would like to ask you? Like, is there anything I don't know about you that I probably would want to know? There's probably some some things that you don't know about me. Uh, that, I, that I would like to know. That's definitely an important part of it, yeah. yeah. Do you know who, who your next guest will be on your own uh, podcast? Uh, no, I don't know yet. Uh, I, I want, I think I'm going to try and talk to somebody from uh, like the business world. Um, so I talked to an investor already, then I talked to um, a sales consultant. Now I would really like to talk to like a, a, like a CEO or a brand manager or somebody in marketing who's actually doing things for companies you know not as a consultant but as a as a job as a real thing um, and you're uploading to uh your youtube channel the da.ai that's correct yes so it's uh data.ai we're still i'm still working on that name i think there's a <laughs> an eternal Thing for me, like you know, what's a good name? Clever was a good name, I thought. Um, that was a really good name, yeah. Uh, so I want one that's equally good. I think uh, the data arena is not bad, uh, but it's it's too difficult. So um, yeah, I'm still I'm still working on it. You will see it, it show up when it when we're there. Um, so yeah, that's where we keep our podcast. I'm thinking about a question to you, like. When do you think, is how big is the chance you will think you will start your own company in the next five years? In the next five years? Uh, um, well, so as you said, uh, ideas are worthless if you don't act on them. Uh, I always have a lot of different ideas mm -hmm. and I, I'm, I'm quite vocal about them to people that want to hear about them. Um, so that's also kind of the reason why I'm now rebooting this podcast thing and my YouTube channel as well. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm always talking about it, but I should execute more, I guess. And then there's uh, that maybe that could be considered a company uh, already. I, I don't know. But what is the definition of a company? Like if it makes money or yeah it has to make money if like well, there's a, an expression for it right uh basically it's, it comes down to if it doesn't make money it's a hobby right? okay okay 
So then I need to get to the road to, what is it, 1,000 subscribers and 40,000 hours of watch time on YouTube. Uh, so not there, not there yet. So yeah. yeah. So, so is that your, your business model you're going after? Is no, I do have... Content, a content uh, uh, an agency? I do have some other ideas, but I, I think I need to pitch them to people that... The, the thing I'm not the best at, I think, is asking for help when I, I can't do it by myself, which is something I definitely need mm -hmm. to learn because nobody... in history is ever like completely self-made like they always got help or knowledge or yeah. so something from somewhere else so i'm trying to act on that first to uh kind of get my network of people that i know i can talk to or can get me in contact with people i can talk to that will help me realize it uh one of the things, the company, and I, I think I, I told you before, uh, is the company that has, uh, it's Water 2.0 or Water 3.0, um, that has caffeine and theanine in it. Uh, because the hydration part really helps for your health. And then even better than, well, even better, better than coffee. So without the crash of coffee, but still with the energy from coffee, is yeah. having theanine and caffeine together because it's kind of like a synergy. Uh, but I haven't done anything tangible yet. Uh, I'm actually, I'm talking to someone who can help me uh, with it. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'll see in five years if there's a company. I, I really hope so. I really want to start a company if that's, mm -hmm. if that's what you're asking. Like I want to be, yeah. The one that has an ID, acts on it, and builds something from there. Uh, if it's going to be in the next five years, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. That's that's I think entirely up to me. I guess. Yeah. Well, your first step, I think you're doing right, is uh, is talking to people. Right. You need a network. That's very important. So you can't ask for help if you don't know people and if they don't know your idea, then it's useless. Um, so step one is build a network and that could be, you know, there are organizations um, that help young entrepreneurs meet each other. They're, they're perfect for that. Um, and then the second thing will be like to pitch your idea and then, you know, I think you pitched it to me. Uh, I think it's a terrible idea, but <laughs> not a lot of people are convinced. That's true. yeah. That's that could be a good a good thing, right? So, um, like when when you like it's a, there's a book called The Mom Test. It's also in my library behind me. Have you read it? Uh, no, but you yeah, you talked to me yeah. about it before. That's how you get feedback. Um, and even still, if you have a true innovation, people won't understand it and tell you it's a terrible idea. Yeah. Um, so, uh, me telling you, it's, I think it's a terrible idea, uh, like, doesn't, doesn't mean anything. Because mm -hmm. you will have 98 people telling you it's a bad idea, and then you have one or two people that will say like, oh, 
I'm going to build this with you, and then you're uh, you know you're off to the to the game. So uh, yeah, there, there's I think there's two ways of looking at it. Like uh, I read somewhere, like if one person tells you uh, you're doing it wrong, then you're you shouldn't believe it. But if ten people tell you you're doing it wrong, then maybe it's time to kind of reevaluate. Uh, what it is they are saying that you're doing wrong. Uh, but then again, as you just said, innovations or some ideas are just not liked or comprehended by yeah. anyone until they are actually executed. Um, yeah. And then they become a success. So, uh, yeah. We're taking a more difficult route, right? Same as we did with our chatbots. Uh, so you're inventing a new water that looks like water, tastes like water, but has completely different ingredients. Mm -hmm. uh, this is not something people you know, are looking for. Nobody goes into the stores today and starts looking for water that isn't water, right? So you're saying something people today don't know they, mean, they might have the need for, um, which is way harder if you would tell me like, um, yeah, I'm gonna, you know, make uh, nice cocktails and give them a nice branding and I want to be you know an online cocktail seller mm. the chances of starting a business as an online cocktail seller are you know are pretty big if you want to do that you could you, all you have to do is find the design of the bottle uh, get a nice logo start your marketing and you can start selling that's really the easiest way to get started as a business yep. is look at what are people buying and then sell what people are buying because mm -hmm. you know that there's a need for that product. Yeah. Uh, if you come up with something people don't buy today, then, you know, you're taking the, the hardest possible route there is. So, uh, um, yeah. uh, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, sometimes I do tend to take the more difficult routes on purpose, I, I think. I just, I mean, that's kind of how I'm wired, I guess. Um, but yeah, if, if the only goal is to get a company within five years, then I should find an existing solution and try to solve it. That's definitely true, I think. But um, if you're going for the passion and the perseverance to and the motivation to do it, yeah. then maybe it doesn't really matter if it's an existing problem that needs a solution or if you're just making something because you are convinced that it's a good thing. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's a, it's a pro the problem I have is that I'm not very attracted to existing business models. Uh, so I try to invent new stuff. I actually wish I would be like, you know, that's why I spend a lot of time looking at what are the things I can do, uh, and, you know, that could be easy in the sense that it's just like opening, uh, you know, a restaurant. If you open a restaurant, people will come and eat at your restaurant. That's simple. And then you just have to be really good at it. Um, but I don't care to open a restaurant. Um, I only care about new stuff that makes me enthusiastic. So yeah. I was hoping you would also dream of like, if you're a YouTuber 
It's also an existing need, right? So I think YouTube, you being a YouTuber, that's just you have people looking for for consuming content. That's yeah. something people will always want to do. The medium is something something else. Like maybe in a few years, if VR is more, I mean, portable and accessible, there might be content for VR, but that's still just consuming content and it's just the medium that's different. Yeah. Now, is uh, Michael figured on TikTok already? <laughs> uh, no, he is not. I, I have I have thought about it actually. But um, the thing is with the YouTube channel, it's mostly informative content and TikTok is uh, silly dances and and other stuff. Uh, actually, I've seen some videos lately about, so uh, because yeah. I'm also into cooking uh, and I've seen some TikToks of people that are trying out recipes and I've tried two of them because of a TikTok video. Yeah, so, so I think it actually surprises me how massively you're underestimating uh, TikTok. Uh, so at first I also thought it's just girls dancing. Well, I mean, good enough, you know, that's, that's cool. Um, but what I'm seeing right now on TikTok is uh, football, chess and business. That's all I see. Uh, like, and I think it's amazing. So I think it's, uh, their algorithm works in a way they probably don't really know how it works themselves because it's extremely good. Um, and the business advice you can already find there today is is not bad it has inspired me already as well so um if more serious people would get onto TikTok with more serious content mm -hmm. the whole platform could turn into uh you know uh, that's youtube and linkedin combined mm -hmm. which will scare away all the dancing girls of course yeah but for me it's an inevitable future uh it's just a platform where people can get crash courses of one minute yep. on any topic. That's it. So I think it, mm -hmm. it's really powerful. That's something, um, so since I did not create a video for a while now, or actually there's one ready right now, it's going mm -hmm. to be published very soon, um, today probably, um, so on Sunday. Um, but meanwhile, I started to create these stories on Instagram or like albums that just mm -hmm. had the video summarized in a few images. And I think something like that, but in a moving picture video kind of format would work on TikTok as well. But uh, I mean, it also takes a lot of work to do as well. And maybe I should just find somebody who can maybe do an animation of sorts to kind of animate the video in a few, in, in like 30 seconds or what is the duration mm -hmm. of a TikTok? Thing. I think it, it's one process? minute maximum. Uh, one minute. Yeah. So, I mean, I like the ID, but I need to think about how to execute it. Yeah. I wouldn't overthink it. So, in our conversation, you collected around, I think, uh, 100 minutes. So, without doubt, there will be 10 individual minutes that are worth spreading. Yeah. So, you already have. 10 TikTok videos ready. Yeah. All you have to do is put the text on it like, wow, this is the future of subscriptions, like yeah. whatever. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's 
so that is the plan for the podcast. So I'm going to upload this in in full. So on YouTube and then also on Spotify. But then the next thing is to also because I'm inspired. I was inspired to do this podcast because of uh, the Joe Rogan experience. He had about 10 million subscribers, I think, on YouTube for a podcast channel. Mm-hmm. But now he's been acquired by uh, Spotify. Um, and he also has a YouTube channel apart from the podcast. It has uh, Joe Rogan clips. So that's just yeah. the podcast divided into different smaller bits. And that, yeah, during our talk, I could already distinguish some clips that would be interesting to just post on their own for people that don't want to sit through two hours of two people talking. <laughs> Nobody, nobody's going to watch I the do, video. I do. And about 10 million other people from the Joe Rogan show do as well. So there is definitely, that's why I want to do, I wanted to do this in English because yeah. everybody could listen to it or at least more people than if we were to do this podcast in Dutch. All right. So people who are watching, if you're watching this whole thing, please comment below. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watch it. Or, I mean, that's why. So that's also the reason to do it in English, because then they can also only listen to it. So if it's on Spotify, for example, right. they can just listen to it and do other stuff. Yeah, through, and through then uh, that's true. They can take a break and then uh, continue listening in their next ride. Yeah. Depending on the work I have to do during the day, I, I, I do exactly this. So I just put on the podcast, the background, and then I just continue working. And sometimes I hear something very interesting and then I just turn back a few minutes and I listen to it again. Mm. Works for me. I'm not, I'm not sure how other people do it, but comment in the comments down below <laughs> and tell, tell me how you consume your podcast. Yeah. Now the the advantage is in 30 years, AI will do the editing for us, of course. <laughs> and we'll be like, oh, this is cool. And then... Yeah. Yeah. True. True. I think uh, it's going to be an exciting future, nonetheless. And I'm very curious about everything you are going to do as well in the near future, yeah. as always. Me too. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, but. Um, yeah, Martin, I, I, I want to thank you for this conversation. I really enjoyed it. I didn't think we could we could uh, do two hours or I, I don't know exactly how long this conversation yeah. is, but I think something like two hours. Uh, and uh, I hope we will see each other again soon, maybe over a beer or something else when this whole circus is over. And uh, yeah, thank you for uh, joining. My pleasure. I was thinking exactly the same thing. You know, uh, it would have been perfect if this was uh, in real life and with a beer. With and, a beer, uh, yep. And uh, a so, doodum, if you remember. The? Uh, a doodum. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that would be very nice to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe cool. we will in the future. All right. Uh, thank you, Martin. And... Uh, We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.